If you look on the back of your bulletin, you'll notice that this morning we were talking about uh, struggling to pray. I was having trouble thinking of a better title than that, so I just, that's what we're talking about, so that's what we're going with. Um, I, I did this because there are several things and levels here. Sorry, Uriah, what are you doing? Come have a... Sorry. You know, when your wife's at home and you see your kids sneaking off where they're not supposed to go, it's a little distracting. (laughs) And now I embarrassed him. Let's try to start over now. Uh, Prayer, I think, is universally one of those things where believers say they wish they did better. It's something where we often feel like we're not where we should be. In fact, John Ortberg says that if we ever feel like we're where we should be, we're probably further behind than where we are if we feel like we're not. (laughs) But there are times that we just really struggle to pray, I think. At least, I say we, I mean me, but I think it applies to most of us. There are various causes when we struggle to pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray, We just don't know what to pray, how to say it, what we should say, what we should pray for. But I think there are other times that if we're honest, we don't want to pray. We may want to want to pray, but we we really just don't desire to pray. And, And again, there are various causes for that. And I think sometimes the causes overlap. Sometimes the same thing that would cause us to be at a loss for words and not know how to pray is the same thing that gives us the desire to not pray at all. Think about when tragedy strikes. Sometimes when tragedy strikes and horrible things happen, we don't know what to do. We're at a loss for words. But other times, those same tragedies can cause us to just be mad at God for letting something like that happen. And we want to have the right answer, so we don't want to admit that we don't want to pray, but deep down inside, if we were honest, we would say, I just don't feel like praying. Because I am mad that God would let this happen. Whether it's burying a child or burying a sibling or burying a parent earlier than you want, or planes being flown into a World Trade Center, or school shootings, there are times that we're just at a loss because we don't know how to pray, but there's also those times where those things make us angry that God didn't intervene. Why didn't God step in and prevent that from happening? And so my goal today is to help us all understand by the time we leave that we can pray with confidence even when we're at a loss for words. Even when we're struggling to pray, we can pray with confidence. This is my goal. If we can leave with this today, then I will be satisfied. Which brings us to what I think is one of the most encouraging passages on prayer in all of Scripture. There are a lot of passages about prayer, but I think this one is possibly my favorite because of what it says. And so we're going to be in Romans 8. It's page 944 in your pew Bibles if you want to turn there. Now, Romans is one of the really popular New Testament books among Christians because we like to study because it's a really big theology book. This is what I find funny. This is a small rabbit trail as you turn and find the page so that you can read along. I find it funny that we think 
that the Old Testament is boring. I often hear people say, I don't read the Old Testament, it's too boring. I just want to read the New Testament. But then we want people to tell us stories and not give us a textbook. Would you rather listen to a storyteller or somebody reading from a school textbook? Storyteller, right? Except for a few people that are really nerdy and they enjoy listening to someone read from a textbook. This is what's funny to me. The New Testament is largely textbook. The Old Testament is story. So the very thing that we call boring is the very thing that we would say is entertaining, and the very thing that we say we enjoy is what we would typically call boring. You can't read Paul's letters and not realize that they are just a theological textbook about what to believe and what God has done for the church through Christ and what that means for his body. And so keeping in that theme with Romans, the largest of Paul's theological textbooks, This passage we're going to read is immediately preceded by theological teachings about the nature and the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Before we read, I'm going to say this. If we cannot be encouraged by the passage that we're looking at today, then there is something wrong with our encouragement level. Uh, Because this is probably one of the most encouraging things I read in all of Scripture, other than the whole grace thing that keeps us from burning in hell for all of eternity. That's pretty encouraging, and you can't top that. I recognize that. But when we look at everything else, this passage is an incredibly encouraging passage to me. So, without any further ado, let's read Romans 8, 26 through 34. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also deal with him graciously, give us all things? Let me go back because I did not read that wrong. Right. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also deal with him graciously, give us all things? I keep adding the word deal there. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Sorry. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, other than the fact that I can't read, apparently, I hope that that's encouraging. Did you catch what Paul is saying in there? He bookends what we just read with two thoughts that I think are incredible. The first one is in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Get this, the Spirit is praying for you. 
God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. That's verse 27. The Holy Spirit, when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, praying for us in accordance with God's will. And then he jumps into this, what used to be one of my least favorite verses of Scripture in verse 28, mainly least favorite because Christians just completely throw it around when they shouldn't. God works all things for the good of those who love him. I believe that to be completely true. I just don't think the visitation line is the place to tell people. I also believe that we don't understand what that means because we've pulled that apart. You cannot have verse 28 apart from verse 29. Let's read it again. Verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, the the reason that all things work together for the good of those who love God is that God uses all of those things to shape us into the image of Christ so that we reflect Christ's character and his nature to those around us. It's not that a tragedy is ever good in our lives. It is not that God ever looks down as people are burying their children and saying, that's good. Because that's not the case. But God uses those things to shape us into the image of Christ. That is why God works all things for the good of those who love them because God uses everything in our lives to shape us into the image of Christ. If you think you can be shaped into the image of Christ without going through some stuff, you've forgotten what the image of Christ is. You cannot be shaped into the image of somebody who was beaten and mocked and spit upon and had nails driven through their hands without going through some stuff. Your life cannot be roses and sunshine and butterflies throughout all of it and you to accurately represent and reflect the image of Christ. Because the image of Christ is bloody and beaten and spat upon. But what I think is cool is this is part of what the Holy Spirit's praying about. I am convinced that part of the prayers of the Holy Spirit that line up with God's will are that when we're going through those times and we're angry and we're lost and we're confused and we don't know what to say, that the Holy Spirit is interceding saying, God, use this to help them better reflect your son. Use this to help them better reflect your son. Don't let them be pushed too far away from this or because of this. Don't let this be the thing that causes them to walk away. Use this to make them stronger and better. And then in verse 30, we have this assurance of God's word. If he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, he's justified, he's called us, and if he's called us, he's justified us, and if he's justified us, he's glorified us, and this, is, this verse could be a 
three-hour sermon on its own. So I'm just pointing out that what Paul is saying here is that God is qualified to do this. God is capable of using those things, those terrible things that happen in our lives. God is able to redeem those and use them so that we better reflect the image of his son. You know, some of the best people I've ever seen in the time of a tragedy are the people that are there sitting with the family that have went through stuff like that before themselves. They're not trying to say, I know what you're going through. They're just sitting there and being the presence of Christ with people who are suffering. And then in verses 31 through 33, we have a bunch of hypothetical questions. There's a bunch of questions proving the point that Paul is making. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Anybody? Kind of hypothetical, right? If the creator of the universe is for you, then there is nobody that can be against you. Now, I would suggest that we need to have some self-examination because that also means if the creator of the universe is against you, then it doesn't matter who's for you. And that's something, that's a different discussion for a different day, but something to think about. God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us, which proves that he is for us. And so who's going to bring a charge? God's the one that justifies. Who is going to condemn? And this is what I think is incredible about verse 34. He points out Jesus died, Jesus was raised. But then what does he say? He died, he was raised, and now Jesus Christ, the Son, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus is praying for us. And so what we see here is we have the Trinity that we talk about periodically that we can't wrap our minds around. But the Trinity is that we worship one God, but we see that God in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not three gods, they're one God. And it just makes you have a headache. But that being said, a little math lesson for you. If God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit make the Trinity, and God the Spirit and God the Son are interceding for us, that means we have two-thirds of the Trinity praying for us. Two-thirds of the Trinity are petitioning the last third of the Trinity on our behalf. I think that's incredible. Now you pair this idea of Jesus praying for us, and if you remember what we read in Hebrews chapter four, he has been tempted in every way that we are. There is no way that we are tempted that he hasn't been tempted and he overcame. He can relate to us. And the one who has been tempted as we are and who has went through what we go through, much worse, he knows what we suffer and what we deal with and the temptations that we face. And with that knowledge, he is standing at the right hand of God, praying for you. I think that's pretty encouraging. I think that's exciting because that means that I don't have to make sure that I have the right words when I pray. I don't have to solve all of the world's problems when I pray. 
Because when we stumble and we don't know how to pray, God the Holy Spirit and God the Son are interceding for us to God the Father. All of that to say that we can pray with confidence when we're at a loss for words because they are praying for us. Even when we don't know how to pray, even when we don't want to pray, even when we're too angry to pray, we can pray with confidence because we know that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are interceding for us to God the Father. Mike Baker, who's the pastor at Eastview Christian Church in Bloomington, Illinois, in a class on prayer said this. He said, some days I just show up and do Romans 8.26. And I say, God, I'm here I need to be here, but I don't know what to say, so you will have to take this prayer. That is how we pray with confidence, even when we don't know what to pray for. Maybe you need to change it and say, God, I'm here, I need to be here, but I don't really want to be here. So you're going to have to take this one. But this is why we can pray with confidence, because we know That God, who has paid the price for us and has redeemed us, is for us. We see that he's for us because he allowed his son to die for us. Many of you have children. Who would you allow your children to die for? Would you allow your child to die for somebody that you weren't for? God proves his love for us through allowing his son to be the sacrifice that redeems us. God has our best interests in mind. But that also means being shaped to the image of Christ, which requires going through some stuff. And we know that's a reality, we just don't want to face it. Because we talk about people who have never went through anything in their lives and they grew up with a silver spoon in their mouths and they're so far detached from reality they don't know what's going on. I mean, people have done personality profiles comparing Solomon to David. David grew up in a field, working, hard work, calluses. Solomon grew up in the temple, or in the palace, the son of a king. And people compare their their character traits because of those things. And we talk about that with people. We acknowledge that. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I really think that everybody before they go out in the world needs to spend a couple years working on a farm or everybody needs to spend a few years doing military service so they know what life is really like. But then we want to forget that when it comes to spiritual things and realizing that to grow spiritually, we have to go through some stuff. And God uses those things to transform us into the image of Christ. And so, again, today, like we have been doing, we're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. But I will say it's a little different practicing this prayer because this is a prayer of non-prayer. This is a prayer of saying, God, I need you to take this. And letting him take it. Being quiet and just sitting and letting God have it. We don't do well with silence. We, we don't do well with the whole being still and knowing that God is God stuff. We want to fill everything with noise and clutter. That's why when I have been running the sound, filling in on a Sunday morning, and I leave it silent for communion, 
I have a good handful of people that come up and aren't happy that there wasn't noise filling that void because we don't handle silence well. We want there to be noise and clutter. But sometimes we just need to say, God, I don't know how to pray. And let that be our prayer. So that's what we're going to do. The first one, spend a few moments in praying about a situation in which you are unsure what to say. Maybe you say what Baker did and say, God, I'm here, I need to be here, but I don't know how to pray about this situation. Name the situation and let God have it. Go. Lord, there are so many things going on in our lives and often we are at a loss for words. We don't even know where to start on praying. And so I pray that we would have the confidence and the assurance that you've got it covered. Give us the courage to say, God, I don't know how to pray. Can you pray for me? And let it go. Amen. Spend a few moments praying about a situation in which you or someone you know is angry with God. Before I pause and leave silence for this, if you struggle with the idea of being angry with God, I'd encourage you to read through the Psalms. If you read five Psalms a day, which most of them are short, with the exception of like Psalm 119 that's a little longer, three, or five Psalms a day will get you through the Psalms in a month. Read through the Psalms and see what those people were saying as they prayed to God over the things going on in their lives. And it might change your perspective on being angry with God and letting God know that you're angry. Because the psalmist sure did it, and apparently it was good enough to be part of Scripture, which is all useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. So spend a few moments praying about a situation in which you or someone you know is angry with God and let God take the prayer. God, sometimes it's hard for us to admit that we're angry with you. I pray that we would have the courage to be honest with you about the things that we feel that you already know. That we would quit denying it to ourselves so that it can be dealt with. I pray that when 
we face those situations and we don't even know how to pray because we're too angry to pray, that we would let you know and say, God, I'm here because I need to be here. But I don't really want to be here because I'm angry. Bring healing. And we would let you take that, knowing that you promised that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, who has went through everything that we've went through and not given in to sin, is praying for us. Amen. Lastly, third thing, I want to encourage you to spend a little bit of time praying that God will help you keep the perspective of Romans 8, 28, and 29. Understanding that those things that we go through are not because God wants to punish us. They're not because God is trying, has it out for us and is trying to smite us. Sometimes they may be a thing of discipline and suffering for our poor choices, the natural consequences that come from that. But help pray that we would keep the perspective of Romans 8, 28, and 29, that God uses all of the things that we go through to make us look more like Jesus so that we can love people the way we are called to love. Go ahead and pray. God, you have proved your love for us. You have shown us numerous ways the way in which you love us and what you were willing to do for us. And so we can have the confidence that you have our best interest in mind. I pray that we would not forget that you use all things for our good. Not meaning that everything we go through is going to amount to some financial blessing or some health blessing but that you use everything for our good because everything we go through in lives, you in our lives, you use that to shape us to look more like Jesus. I pray that we would cooperate with your work and transformation in our lives so that the world can see the difference in us. So that the world doesn't look at us and see people who practice the same things they practice as we can dim what they practice. So that we're not the people that Paul writes about in Romans 2.24, that the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Because of us. Help us to remember that everything we go through, good, bad, and otherwise, you use that to shape us to look like Christ if we allow you to. May we let you continue to shape us in his image. That's in his name we pray. Amen. We can pray with confidence even when we're at a loss for words because we can have the confidence that God the Holy Spirit and God the Son, Jesus Christ, who was tortured and beaten and mocked and crucified and conquered death for us are interceding for us. They are praying to God the Father on our behalf with our best interests in mind praying that we would look 
more like Jesus today than we did yesterday and more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. I think this is important because the times that we least want to pray are often the most important times for us to pray. Those are often the times where people have that make or break time. How many people have you heard say, well, I don't believe in God anymore because we prayed for healing in this situation and God didn't do it. We prayed that somebody wouldn't die and God let them die anyway. The times when we least want to pray are the most important ones because those are often the make or break times in our lives. And it keeps us grounded and it shapes us and it enables us to witness to others. And so when you don't feel like praying, when you don't know what to pray, I want to encourage you to pray. Even if all you say is, God, I don't want to be here, but I need to be here, pray for me. And trust that God, who has your best interest in mind, who allowed his son to go through what he went through for you, will be faithful to his promise. Let's pray. Lord, help us to leave here trusting you and coming to you even when we don't want to. May we recognize the importance of praying, especially when we don't want to. And may we be faithful to at least acknowledge that we don't want to, but we need to. I pray that we would look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, and that tomorrow when we head to work, into ball games, into ball practice, and wherever else it is we go, that we would reflect the image and the nature and the love and character of Christ more tomorrow than we did today. And that we would continue to run the race with our eyes fixed on Christ, knowing that everything that we are tempted with, he has been tempted with and overcame. And may we find strength and courage and joy in that. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.